0: I'm Pastor Nathan T, and I'm privileged to bring the word of the Lord as your messenger today. So today we'll be resuming the series on the Book of Esther, as we took a pause last week for Father's Day. And today's chapter is on chapter 7, which is very, very exciting. If you've been following the the, the book, this chapter seems to be the climax. Seems like a semi-finale of of this drama that we've been dragged along. And Esther, the queen, finally reveals her intentions and her identity to the king, the secrets of her heart. So Esther 7 is the culminating outcome of what has been building up from chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 until chapter 6, Hetona. But before that, let me tell you something about the lens we can bring as we read the Bible. Most often, we read the Bible like another storybook. We read continuously. Ask again, what's next? What's happening? Okay, cool. Close. But there's, the Bible is deeper than that. The Bible is more than a story. There's layers and layers and layers of meaning. There's history, there's character, there's literary placements, there's poetry. So if you just read it in one continuous go, you'll probably read the story but miss out every single artistic piece that was enveloped inside of that narrative. So today, I'll just add to one of the lenses that we use to read the Bible This here in your slides is a number series. This is the number form. It's a numerical form of what we call riddles. You see, riddles are patterns that point us to certain conclusions. And I didn't really think about this. Probably you guys are already computing the math and thinking about the answer. But you see, 1, 2, 6, 15, and 31 lead you to have an answer for the blank, given what the series indicates. Each issue, each item, leads you to finally understand what would come next. And for the Bible, there are riddles. In a way, there are items that lead you to conclude a certain conclusion. Items, observations, story, stacked up, and then you'll say, "Mm, I think I know the ending to this. And so we will trace today the patterns of the items that we have seen throughout Esther's story before we go into chapter 7 itself. We will do this by looking at God's people's life patterns so that we can affirm his promises in their lives. The items of the character story that was in Esther and seemingly, what kind of godly conclusion would come about, given this godly story? And so, we'll do this to this outline. Esther 7 is called the reverse kingdom. Later, we will tell you why. But we'll do it as a recap first of the previous chapters. we have to list down the items that we've seen so far. And then we'll see the blank. In chapter 7, how does chapter 7 fill in the blank to the riddle? How does it complete the patterns? So let's proceed by recapping each of the lives of Esther, Mordecai, and Haman, as revealed so far throughout our book only. Okay? So let's look at Queen Esther first. These are the items in the series of Esther. You see, Esther was an orphan. And she was taken by Mordecai as his own daughter. She had a beautiful figure and was pleasing to the eyes. And then he was taken by the, she was taken by the king for a beauty pageant. And then because of her beauty, she won public favor. Everyone who saw her felt good about her. And then because of that, the king himself felt the same way And thought, this is who I want to be, my queen. And so she was made queen because she was beautiful. And she was put inside the palace, but really she was uninvolved. She was unaware of any kingdom affairs. As you remember, she didn't even know why her uncle was mourning and crying and in sackcloth. But then in chapter 4, we are left with a decision on Esther's plate. Challenged by Mordecai to take up a new role and function in order to save the Jews So what's the series that we've seen so far in Esther's life? What is the concluding item? If we were to oversimplify her life, it would probably look a lot like this You see this character in a series looks very helpless. She was taken Taken, taken. She was an orphan, but she was nothing more than an orphan. But she was pretty, so it became about her beautiful, beautiful face and her figure. So she was taken because she was an orphan. She was taken because she was beautiful. But she never took any initiative. She was always taken by the demands of the situations, by the people and authority figures around her. She's never had to take any responsibility for her life or any direction. Looking at this life pattern, do you know of people like this? People whose lives have been existing for 20, 30, 40 years, maybe 50. But actually, their lives have been taken from them. Not literally, but maybe volitionally. They have no will anymore. They are decided by the people around them. This is what you do. This is who you should be. This is who you should become. This is your business. Ito yung family business natin. You're about to take over. You're 12 years old. It's decided for you. You've never taken initiative for any part of your life. And so, we find Esther with a blank in Chapter 7. What would this taken character do? Would she take up her own priorities, or will she allow others' priorities to dictate what she does? Will she step into the maturity that it requires to risk her own life for a certain priority that seems to be hers and hers only, and a decision that only she can make? We should do this. And so you can imagine Esther's thought process. Could I, could I do it? Could I do this on my own? It's my first time to make my own choice. What would happen? Would I fail? Would I die? Would I suffer for my choices? A lot of doubting and struggling. That's what we end with in her series. It's a blank. And we'll find out the answer to the blank of Esther's life series in chapter 7. But the question I want us to be thinking about in the kingdom of the invisible God, people like Esther, the taken ones, what's the pattern? What's the kingdom pattern for such biblical stories? Is there hope for those who have never decided for themselves, who have never found my purpose and my calling? Is there hope for such human beings? Or will their lives be all about this, taken from this to that? We will find out in chapter 7. But in the meantime, we'll take a look at the next character and his life. This is Mordecai's life series. You see, Mordecai was carried away from Jerusalem as a captive of Babylon. And then he fathered an orphan, it was Esther. And then throughout the time, he was always outside the palace. He was caring for Esther, even if she was already brought in from afar. He would walk around the palace gates just to check, how is my daughter doing? And then he always was secretive of his identity. He was secretive of his identity by keeping her daughter, his daughter, a secret. No one knew Esther was a Jew by commands of Mordecai, her father. But again, we see a plot line twist. He discovers around the outside gates, people rumor, murmuring about an assassination plot against the king. So he reports it to the queen. Secretly. And the queen saved the king as they investigated that it was true. So he was recorded not by the king, but only by scribes. Ah, this person, someone outside the gates named Mordecai, told us about this assassination plot, and it was true, and we saved the king because of that. Nothing more, nothing less. But also, outside the gates, he was holding his own. He was unwilling to bow to this Haman, and was bullied, oppressed, and abused for it he and his people were actually scheduled in chapter 3 to be annihilated. They had an assassination day scheduled for them. And so he's crying and mourning for himself and his people, but again, outside of palace attention. The palace people were drinking and partying while they were crying and dying. And suddenly, in chapter 6, the king couldn't sleep. And so he remembers... He, he, he asked for a lullaby or storybook to sleep. And then they opened the book where he was recorded. And then he asked, has he, has he been rewarded, this Mordecai person? Who, who is he? And so, he honored him. He honored him in chapter 6. But after he was honored, if you notice in chapter 6, verse 12, this verse is so peculiar to me. He actually returned outside of the palace where he usually stayed for his whole life. He was paraded around the city as the one who saved the king. And then after that day, he went out of the palace and stayed where he always stayed. Strange. Lack of ambition. So if we were to simplify his life into a series, probably we could say this person was selflessly serving of others without self-promotion. He was never actually recognized or rewarded. He was dishonored even and disrespected by others. Selfish lang kasi yung mga nakaupo. those who are in positions dis- disliked him. And years later, he was finally honored publicly, but he did not feel the need to capitalize. He just went back to his place where he has always worked. And afterwards, he was content to return. Yeah, he again worked silently until this moment. He was scheduled to die. So there was a blank, again. Scheduled to die. His life was always behind the scenes. He was always outside the palace. He never got rewarded for all his good deeds. Remember, the queen was queen because of him. If he had not fathered an orphan, there would be no queen of Persia. But he was about to die. The blank was there. So what does this series logically amount to? Probably you'll say, this guy... Worthless yung buhay niya. All his life, suffering, sacrifice, behind the scenes, supporting others, and then he's about to get assassinated. No one even knew. No one even cared. The party was going on. He was crying outside the palace gates. Ignored, overlooked, insignificant. Just another foreigner in a foreign country. What outcome would seem likely to fill the blank of his series so far? guru end of his life. life is hard. This is what politics is, society. But again, in Esther, we are invited to see the kingdom in a different way. There's this invisible God that is reigning, seated on the throne. So what outcomes does it actually come out to? There's a twist. There's a difference. Because we live in the kingdom of the invisible God. And so chapter 7 is a reversal of Mordecai's series. Before that, let's go to Haman. You see, Haman was immediately introduced. Randomly, his name suddenly popped up as one the king wanted to promote as the highest official below him. And the king commanded all his servants, he, Haman didn't do anything. It was the king. All of you guys, every time he passes by, honor this person. He's the highest of highs. And so he was entitled. He was furious against those who did not give him this honor. So he had unlimited privilege. Whereas, Haman, or whereas Mordecai and Esther were always tiptoeing around the king because they might die into his presence, you would see throughout the book of Esther, Haman would go in and go out freely. No fear of death, only privilege. Chest out, heads high. He was granted authority by the king to utilize his horses, his scribes, his messengers to deliver any message he wanted. You can write using my ring, you can sign it using my name, whatever you write as a law, use it, use my people. and then because of this honor you could see him he was going home boasting to his wife honey now ah, today your and so the life series so far it makes no sense well it makes sense for Haman everything's going up so if you were to summarize his life so far it would probably look something like this promoted early elevated early capitalized on his position, expected honor and respect from others, entitled to it, probably you'd call him a bully in the office, in society. And he wrote and carried out laws that would suit him, make him comfortable, kill these people I don't like, I don't like this kind of friends, just kill them. In fact, Hitler has often been compared and likened to Haman by scholars. What he wanted, he got. Easy. Everybody fell at his feet. The disposal of everyone he wanted was with a snap of a finger. And so what would complete the blank in Haman's series if logically we thought according to the kingdom of the world? Evil wins. Evil wins. Common sense. He's always won. He's have, he has everything. He has the king's approval. He has society's commanded respect. He has the resources of the kingdom. Logically, the blank would be filled with victory. One, two, three, syempre four yung sunod. But again, chapter seven shows us differently because we live not in the kingdom of Haman, but we live under the kingdom of this invisible God who seems to have a totally upside down definition of what the story should go and how the story should be. So we're asking, if we're Haman's, uh uh-oh, if we're Mordecai's, is there hope? Is there really hope for God's people? And so chapter 7, we enter it with that anticipation. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? We proceed to a reversal of outcomes. Predictable? Maybe actually not. The series points otherwise. It's very unpredictable. It's not like our Filipino um, teleseries. Alamunay may bagong ay. ito, magugulat So we'll look at chapter 7 now. We'll look at chapter 7 now and see what happens. What happens in the kingdom of the invisible God. Let's read this together. So the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. So the king and Haman went in to feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request, even to the half of my kingdom? It shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent. For our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king let's pause here. What's Esther doing? You would read past this easily. Can you flash the the text again? You notice now that the pronouns that the author was using in the book of Esther, Esther suddenly identifies with the people. She says, my people. She says, our affliction. She says, we. What was the Esther author telling us here? There was a twist in Esther's character series. From being a queen who was looking outside the gates, what's going on? Just bring him some clothes. She was, seemingly, her heart was suddenly outside. King, my people, my people, they're suffering. We have been sold, we have been killed, we have been scheduled to be assassinated. My people. And so the author of Esther was furthering Esther's character now in chapter 7. Her heart was knitted together now with the Jews. She was no longer taken by her positions, by her crown, by her beauty. She was taken by who she belonged to. She took initiative to say, yes, these are my people. So her character was moving. There was character progression. Okay, post lang a commercial lang yun. Next, let's proceed with the story. What did the king say? Then King Asuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he? Where? Where is he? Who has dared to do this? And Esther said, A foe, an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen, and the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. He stormed out, but Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. So Esther 7 drops the bomb. It's a climax of actions, action verbs after action verbs throughout the text. You can see that the author wants you to be escalating with a scene. What was the scene looking like? It was Esther presenting a gentle case, but stern, strong, belonging to her people. And the king responds, Who did this to you? And then Queen Esther, standing in front of the throne, points to Haman. The camera shifts to Haman. His face, ice cold. His eyes, shocked, sweat forming. The king doesn't even say anything. What did he do? He stands up from his throne, royal robes. He exits. He walks out. What does Haman see? He knows the king is angry. I'm dead. I'm dead. He falls on his feet at the seat of Esther, begging for his life. Time out again. Remember, Haman, he was entering and exiting the king's place freely. He had never had any hesitation. And he imagine he was looking outside the gates, "I want to kill those Jews outside there." I don't even know who they are, but I just hate that one guy who's always at the gate, and he's a Jew. I just, who are these foreigners? Immigrants, outsiders, always just working there? Like they're so annoying. I'm to destroy them. And then suddenly, Esther chapter 7 reveals that your queen, that's her people. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. There's a difference. Highest of highs. Now you're at the feet of the queen who you were trying to assassinate. And so the throne room suddenly had one interceding to the king. There was one power in the throne room that was fighting for the people who were oppressed in a foreign land. There was one in the throne room who was one of the neglected. One of the oppressed, one of the sorrowful and crying. there was one in the throne room that identified with them there's some model that we can pattern there. OK, back to the story. overtime Ta drama. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine as Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. And the king said, Will he even assault the queen in my presence and in my house? As the word left the mouth of the king, immediately the servants rushed to the Haman's head and put a bag over his head. Parang a hostage. You can imagine. He was kneeling down, bag on his head. From the highest of highs to a bag on your head. Nakita pa ng king, eh, nakalukud sa may paa ni Queen Esther. Babasto simpanya asawa ko ngayon? Sa harap ko? So imagine everything that you've worked for as Haman, all the honor and glory and all the people who bow down to you in the streets. That's your end. A bag on your head. The king thinking you were about to assault his wife. That's your end. That's the end. Finished. That's the answer to the blank. After all that, elevation, promotion, that's the end. It's almost, the, the, the servants almost knew. The way that the king said this line, the servants, as immediately as the, this word left the mouth of the king, the servants covered Haman's head. Ay alam na, na alam na natin to, yung ganong outcome walang walang nang balikan There's no return from this. Yung ganong klasing pagumagat pag na yung kilay ni King, alam mo na natin yun. Bag dyan bag, labas pa yung bag. Tapos eh. And so the logical series suddenly took a turn. Not elevation, manipulation, bullying, promotion. The blank was filled with a bag on your head. And not only that, let's read on. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance to the king, said, Moreover, the, uh, the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose words saved the king, is standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits high, which is around 70 feet, I think. And the king said, Ah, hang him on that. Hang him at his house. Hang him at the gallows he built. So they hanged Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. And then the king sat down. Ha!" Ah, that was good. that was nice. Esther, the author of Esther, has some sort of humor trying to show us. It's ironic. The ending of Heyman's life series so far, his legs were dangling in the air 60, 70 feet. That's what the camera was showing us. Two feet below his house, his wife, his friends. What a scene. Is that logically sound? Given what Heyman's life series was like, It was the opposite of what we would expect from such a rich, powerful, entitled, everything at his disposal person. But again, we are not living in such a kingdom. We're living in another kingdom. We are citizens of the heavenly kingdom. So there's a different government going on, invisibly, invisibly. So I was reading, I was finishing this chapter. This is the last verse of chapter 7. And I remember a verse from Psalms that David prayed. But my eyes are toward you, O God, my Lord. In you I seek refuge. Leave me not defenseless. Keep me from the trap that they have laid for me and from the snares of evildoers. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by safely. Interesting. So what about Esther and Mordecai? What happened? We have to read a little bit of chapter 8, borrowing from next week. On that same day, King Ahasuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, and Mordecai came before the king. Remember, he was always outside. For Esther had told what he was to her. He was my father. And the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai switcheroo, and Esther sent Mordecai over the house of Haman. Swap, swap, swap. Trade in. What does this show us? You see, the reverse kingdom promises that those who do evil today will meet justice in the hands of the judge tomorrow. The reverse kingdom reminds us that his servants, though ignored by the world today, will be rewarded by the king tomorrow. The reverse kingdom is the persevering hope. The reason to keep going and keep returning for the overlooked, secret, silent soldiers of the Lord. Here in this place, we are not yet home. We are not yet kings. But you see, our king has said how it will all end. He will come and all knees will bow. All tongues will confess. So the people who are boasting, chest out. They will be the ones on their knees. And the Christians who have been oppressed outside will be the ones who will come before the king. This is a reason for perseverance, a reason for hope, a reason for glory, a reason for let's keep on keeping on. The future informs our present. Okay, move on. I just want you to show you the the plot twist. It just doesn't follow. One, two, three is not four suddenly, it's seven, hanged on the gallows he built. Does it make sense? Does it make sense at all? What does this tell us about this kingdom in actuality, the capital kingdom, not Ahasuerus kingdom, but the kingdom of God, what does this tell us? You see, Jesus tells us in, in the gospels what this means. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever, whoever. Arrow down. Okay, I have time for a story. Last year's elections, I was talking to a friend, and then he was talking about who he was gonna vote for. I'm not gonna bring up the name, Baham kawe ayaw it ulit tayo, na naman tayo, na naman, lalabas na panyo may mga kulay. Pero that's not the point, because last year I was talking to a friend was telling me, you know, bro, there's only one thing that I want to vote for. The one who won't mess up my plans. Because I have people in the government, I have people in, the, in all industries who I have worked with and have networks with. We have below-the-table dealings already. And if I vote someone who, would, who I know would reform the government, my business would fail, bro. I have a newborn son. I have a wife. So bro, to be honest, there's only one guiding principle for me. Just have to vote for the one who won't mess things up for me, because everyone's going to mess things up. So I'm just going to choose the one who won't mess things up for me. So now, he's rich. But then I have also friends inside the church, God's people. After the pandemic, their prayer requests are always about their businesses. After the pandemic, many people have suffered. Business people. Nothing has returned. It hasn't returned to normal. Our spendings have gone up back to normal, but their incomes not. These people were telling me, you know, bro, it's so easy to make money if you do the under the table stuff, if you do the tax evasion stuff, I would be as rich as anyone. But bro, I want to honor God there. So these people are struggling. Their children are struggling. Instead of a top tier school, maybe they're having to go to the next tier school. Why? Is it because they're not good businessmen? They can't? Or maybe they can but they would not. But it costs them. So my friend, the other friend, he's not even messaging me because he's good. This other friend, bro, pray naman, bro, pa, pray. What kind of a kingdom is going on? You could see flavors of Haman and Mordecai, one who's lived his life properly. Oh, sorry, ito pa na, ito, ito, ito improperly. This person always clean. But he's struggling in the current kingdom. There's sorrow there. So I would say he's like this Mordecai series. Maybe not in this world, maybe not in the Philippines, maybe not in this lifetime. But you see, as Christians, though we are suffering now, we always know that our suffering will end someday. This is what Esther 7 teaches us. It's just a mini story arc of the whole story arc of Christianity. There is a redemption story. parati. Batay na mamatay. From the day we were born, we are already dying. Think about that. You start dying the moment you come out into the doctor's hands. What kind of a kingdom is this? But you see, our view is not like that. Our story does not end in the down moments scheduled for death. There is an up for God's people, which helps us endure the downs. Because this is not our end. We have a kingdom. We are citizens of a different king. And Esther 7 shows us how this king redeems, rewards, and rescues. The downward plots, stocks are failing. Eventually, I know, our stocks will rise. Because Jesus said so. The latter half of the verse, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The ones who are cleanly doing business and suffering today, someday you will be richer than the rich. Enjoy today or enjoy tomorrow. Store here, store there. John 16, 20 to 22. Jesus doesn't say we will not suffer in this world. You are blessed. The Lord wants to bless you. He wants to make Christians rich. Actually, no. He said, you will weep, my friends, my disciples, my brothers and sisters. But the world will rejoice. The underhanded people will rejoice. You will be crying sorrowful on your knees night after night because you don't know how your business will do tomorrow. But your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. Everything hurts. Contractions groaning but when she has delivered the baby she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world it far surpasses this temporary 70-year life that we have we won't even remember what it felt like to be on earth we don't even remember what prayer requests we prayed because on that day You will have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. No one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. That's how satisfying our bounce back will be. A day when you can't even think of something to wish for. You can't even daydream because you're living everything that you wanted and desired. The things you never knew you wanted, you have it that day. Imagine that. Wala ka ng wish. Ha? Wala nang prayer request. Wala nang sana. Wala. Jesus said, that is our day. People, God's people, my friends, my people, our afflictions, I feel it. But guys, guys, may isang araw, sinasabi sa inyo, there's one day, you will ask nothing. Okay, Esther. One, two, three, four, seven. If you were to look at the three past series, she would probably be a person who was always, ah, okay. I'll just cruise this out. I'll just sit this out, just like I've always had. I'll just allow people to tell me what to do. But she took initiative. The person who never put her life on her own hands put her life in her own hands and says, okay, kanina ko bibigay to, and she gave it to God. And what did it become? She became a vessel for salvation. She became an instrument for life. She never found her purpose, you see. Everyone was telling her, your purpose is to be beautiful. Your purpose is to be a good daughter. She never had ownership of her life. And now she did. What will I do? Okay, I'll risk it for the Lord, for God's people. I'll serve them. I'll use my life to serve God's people. I don't even know how it'll turn out. Maybe I'll die. But what choice do I have? And Esther 7 shows us how this kingdom honors those who do that. The people who says, Lord, it's only kui." Whoever finds his life will lose it. Next slide. Next part of the verse. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Again, Jesus has already said what Esther is trying to show. It's not going to be taken from you if you put it in my hands. You will find it. You will find life if you put your life in my hands. So the reverse kingdom reminds us that those who are ignored by the world today will be rewarded by the king tomorrow. The reverse kingdom promises that those who do evil today will meet justice in the hands of the judge tomorrow. The reverse kingdom is the persevering hope, the reason to keep going for the overlooked, secret, silent soldiers of the Lord. I'll tell you a story before we end. Do you know the name glory T? Who knows that name? A few of us. Ten people out of 700 who's here today, maybe. I don't know. A hundred maybe know him, know her. Not much people know her. But you know Auntie Glory, she passed away three months ago. Senior age. She lost her battle with stage four cancer. Did anyone know her ministry? Do you even know what she did for her work? Does social media know about Auntie Glory? Do kings and queens know about Auntie Glory? So ironic, right? Her name's Glory. Maybe that's God's humor. But you see, her ministry is not a ministry that anyone would volunteer for. Kahit, even we post it week after week, volunteers needed for this ministry. No one would volunteer. Because you know why? Her ministry was the ministry of toilet paper. Toilet paper ministry? I've never heard of that. It sounds so lame. Years and years and years ago, I was... Even before I was youth, I was in our church in Talayan, the the, the time before we we went here. Every time in the morning, I would go to the CR because, of course, you're rushing at home on Sunday morning, you can't even pee, so when you arrive at church, you have to pee before you go to the service, right? I would go to the service, and then she would be waiting there outside the library with a big bag. I was rushing. You're about to pee. And then this old woman, ah, Nathan. lie, 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 come here, come here. she give me two rolls of tissue and one hand towel. Can you replace the tissue inside the two cubicles? Two long cubicles, natin day, if you guys remember. Two cubicles inside. And then you replace the hand towel. I washed this last week and then give me the one inside the wet one. Give me, but is Singaporean? The wet one. Give me the wet one and I'll, I'll wash it at home this week. I did that reluctantly because I wanted to pee. It meant nothing. I was a kid. I didn't know what this means. But every so often, every week maybe, maybe she caught a different boy the other weeks, but I kept Remembering that throughout my childhood, every single Sunday. You see, her ministry was the one that replaced all our tissue in the Talayan CR. And probably you guys never knew this until today, some of you. That how was it you were wiping your hands on with the embroidery? My embroidery pa yun, CBCP, blue jar gold, personalized ni Anti Glorion. Sa church yun. Mismo she bought that. And the first day that we toured this facility, she looked around and she told Pastor Renz, Pastor Renz, I think I can only do the ground floor. But she was not making fun. She was kind of sad. You know, she had polio. She doesn't walk very far. And her bag was exceptionally heavy. But she was still thinking she was going to do toilet paper ministry for her God. Even though just anyone could do it. You see, not every human being can accept this kind of life. It takes a special secret soldier of a secret secret God to be able to do this kind of ministry for year after year after year. And then to die with stage 4 cancer as the last line to the series. Is that fair? Those who don't have polio don't even want to do that. Is that fair? Is that even logical? Would, would we choose that logically? It's a bad decision. Delegate mo senior ka May cancer ka But mag-church, na lang? She was there. Every week. Why did she such, have such a hope? Why was she unstoppable? Even though never rewarded. We never got her up on the stage, 10 years of toilet ministry. What animal How can she do that for year after year after year outside the palace gates? She wasn't staffed. She wasn't paid for what she did. She just returned to the toilet ministry every day, every week. Because she was living for another king. Not the king of acclaim, position, power, authority. Not the king of glory. Sorry for the pun. He was living for the servant king. And so I hope that story grips us because this is our king. The king of anti-glory is our king. And so, Maybe the world looks at Auntie Glory's blank and says, stage four cancer. You know, last line. eh? Cause of death, stage four cancer. But you see, in God's kingdom, there's more blanks. More blanks. And more blanks. After that line. And finally, her name will be fully realized. Jesus probably entered, welcomed Auntie Glory. This is a good... And faithful servant. I'm proud that she's mine. That's my daughter. What kind of king do we have? Which king do you want to serve, guys? The one who honors you with four lines or the one who has infinite lines for you? Do you ascribe yourself a life here on earth that defines the fourth line? Or do you see the kingdom as bigger than the fourth line, beyond the fourth line? Because it definitely changes the way you do the three lines. The Mordecais of the world, the Haman's of the world, which will we be? And like what our preacher said, there's a Haman in all of us. You, we, we want to have those lines like Haman, promoted, elevated, successful, able to bully and control and have control over what I want to do, what I don't want to do, the kind of friends I want and the kind of friends I don't want. We have that kind of ambition deep inside of us. But then Esther 7 is an invitation to have the Mordecai invitation. It's like a more hopeful, it's more persevering, it's more enduring, it's the anti-glory series. Are you able to stay where no one sees you and stay there and stay there and stay faithful there? As a mother, maybe? As a neighbor? who who ka lang ng neighbor mo eh, tigilan mo na kaya yung pagiging mabayit mo rin. mo ba ituloy? Toilet paper, lang yung ginagawa. May walang nang No one sees what you're doing. Just stop it, dude. Pastors don't even preach about what you're doing. Maybe it's not important. Are you able to keep returning? Keep going. You see, what does Esther seven tell us about God? This invisible king sees your heart. This invisible king sees the secret. This invisible king has a reversal of scorecards. How the world scores, he doesn't score like that. He has a different grading criteria. This invisible God is just. He will repay to each according to his deeds. This invisible God does not forget the faithfulness of his secret silent servants, though no one knows. This invisible God will have the last say. He is the capital J Judge. This invisible God is coming and returning. And all kings will bow before this king. And no one can contend with his grading criteria. Do you want to be seen by the world or do you want to be seen by the king? Many will call him Lord, Lord, but not many will enter the kingdom of heaven. He will say, Who's this? I don't know this. Sikat sa mundo pero hindi ka Jesus eh? Hello? Importante ba yun? The reverse kingdom reminds us that those who are ignored by the world today will be rewarded by the king tomorrow. The reverse kingdom promises that those who do evil today will meet justice in the hands of the judge tomorrow. The reverse kingdom is the persevering hope, the reason to keep going for the overlooked, secret, silent soldiers of the Lord.